Parkinson's law is the old adage that the work expands to fill the time allotted. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why the stress of trying to balance our professional and personal lives is at an all-time high. After working as a licensed counsellor, entrepreneur, and seasoned podcaster, my guest today, Joe Sanok, believes that there is another way. In his new book, Thursday is the New Friday, he argues that the traditional five-day work week, with its deep historical roots and strong reinforcement from the bygone industrial era, is no longer serving us well. Listen to this week's episode to hear about what Joe is thinking and suggesting. It will change your approach to work and life. You're listening to the REI Branded Podcast, helping you build your real estate personal brand. If you want to stand out from the crowd, attract the right leads, right partners, and right clients every time, you're in the right place. My name is Paul Kompkut, and each week we'll be looking to decode and uncover what makes you, the real estate business owner, brandtastic. Each episode is intended to be valuable, cut to the chase, and actionable, so you can spend less time marketing your business and still get the results you want. Thank you for listening. Now let's get to work on making you brandtastic. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the REI Branded Podcast. My guest this week, Joe Sanek, is a keynote and TEDx speaker, business consultant, and podcaster. And Joe has the number one podcast for counselors, The Practice of the Practice Podcast, with interviews with Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, and Lewis Howes, to name just a few. Joe is a writer for Psych Central, has been featured on the Huffington Post, Forbes, Good Magazine, Reader's Digest, Entrepreneur on Fire, and Yahoo News. He's the author of five books and has been named the therapist resource, top podcast, consultant, and blogger. And we're talking about his new book, Thursday is the New Friday. Welcome, Joe. So thank you for joining us, Joe, and uh, congratulations on the new book. Um, with the pandemic, what we're seeing is a very obviously a very different work day, a very different work week for people. And as we're kind of stumbling back into whatever new normal looks like, you talk in your book, Thursdays and New Friday, about the four-day week, and that's being the new way of working. So, so why is that? Yeah, Paul, thanks so much for having me today. You know, if we go back to 1926, when Henry Ford started the 40-hour work week, sure, a lot of people were advocating, but really, most historians will put that as the marker in 1926. People were working 10 to 16-hour days, six to seven days a week. That was a huge step for the evolution of business and for people. It was needed at the time. But now when we fast forward to where we're at right now, that industrialist model no longer is something that we buy into. We don't see people as just parts of a machine. We see there's nuance, there's passion, there's excitement. And so in a number of ways, that industrialist mindset has been dying for years. The idea that we just need butts in the chair, and that's how we're going to have key performance indicators in business, that it's just people sitting there. For a long time, that's been dying. And so in the pandemic, Globally, we had this experiment to say, do we need to work as hard as we've been working? Do we need to have our outcomes be based on time in the office or are those different for, the, for our generation? And what we're seeing is that the four-day work week actually unleashes creativity and productivity in a much different way where people can get more done in their personal lives, but then they can also get more done when they're actually working. Right. How does it equate to somebody who, you know, a lot of the listeners to this show are real estate investors. So they're more kind of entrepreneurial. 
so that kind of traditional 40-hour work week going to the office every day may not apply. But does the four-day four work week still transpose to those kind of people? Yeah, I think that the challenge that most entrepreneurs have, and I'm in this camp too, where I don't necessarily have a set 40-hour work week or anything like that. I can choose what my schedule looks like. For most people that have that bend, uh, it's more about turning their brains off. We have more than enough ideas. Also, usually we really enjoy the work we're doing because if we don't like it, we usually pivot to something else. And so the big challenge for, for real estate investors, for entrepreneurs is to know when is enough for the week, to be able to say, I am done, I'm closing out the books for the week, and now I'm going to let my brain rest. And so what we're finding from the neuro research is that when we slow down, we actually have better and more creative ideas. And so I would say setting really firm boundaries around what you will and won't do uh, is where most of those folks would, would find it maybe challenging, but then eventually freeing to be able to have some very clear bookends to what their work week looks like. So how do you switch your brain off? Because <laughs> How do you shut it down? Because that's probably the hardest. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think so the middle section of the book is all about slowing down. Um, and we have to do that before we ever get to the productivity work. Um, so there's a couple of things. So there's micro moments. Uh, there was a University of Illinois study that looked at vigilance decrement. So vigilance, how well you pay attention to something, decrement, meaning that it breaks down over time. So the old way of thinking was that we have a certain amount of energy, a certain amount of attention for a given task. And it's like a glass of water. We're slowly pouring it out. And then all of a sudden we're done. And then we have to go to sleep. We have to kind of rejuvenate in some sort of way. And these researchers were challenging that idea. So what they did is they gave a very boring task to some people. And so what they did is they had a four-digit number that was their unique four-digit number. So say it was 4312. So 4312, whenever this number comes up on the computer screen, you push a button. Whenever it's a different number, you don't. Super boring task for about an hour. They're just pushing this button every time that 4312 comes up they experienced vigilance decrement, meaning at the end of that hour, they paid attention worse than they did at the beginning of the hour. So then the second group, as you always do in a research study, the second group, they're comparing it to that first group. And what they did is at the one-third mark, they interrupted the task and they gave them a one-minute break. They said something like, you know, uh, we put you on the wrong computer, go have a seat in the lobby. There were no cell phones or no digital devices. They just had to hang out for a minute brought them back in. And then at the two-thirds mark, they give them another one-minute break. So only two one-minute breaks over that same period of time. They found that there was no vigilance decrement, meaning at the end of the study, they were paying attention just as well as they were at the beginning. So why is this? So if we think about the brain, imagine you've walked in a jungle for 40 years, you're told there's tigers in this jungle, you know, and you've never seen a tiger. Your vigilance isn't going to be as strong after 40 years of not seeing a tiger compared to if your friend just told you that they saw a tiger yesterday and shared this exciting story about running away from a tiger, or maybe you're on a new path, our brains still act that way like we're being chased by a tiger. So that one minute break is actually enough to just spark that we're ready to go back into a task. So there's all this neural research around when we're actually doing the work of how we slow down. But then we also want to look at a macro level in regards to how do we slow down to really what your question is to turn off the brain. And one of the best things that people can do is they can start to put in things into their time off uh, that are scheduled in. So even something like taking a painting class. Tonight, I'm going to an improv class that I go to every single Wednesday night. Uh, and I forget about my business. I forget about the problems of the world. And I just laugh you know, for an hour and a half. So finding these things that we can block out that we know are good for us, but that also make sure that we don't jump back into the business world. And, and are you recommending also to find these, whether it's one minute or whatever, but 
find these little snippets during the day, during the workday as well, to break things up or... Absolutely. And so when, when we look at how the brain reacts, um, the brain reacts not just to uh, our regular kind of sense of looking at the computer, but all of the environment around us. So even while I was writing this book every Thursday, uh, I did a few different techniques that helped me get more done in a shorter period of time using the very neuroscience that I was studying for the book. And so I would protect my brain by not looking at emails or texts or the news before I started writing. I had different lighting in my home office than I had during you know, podcasts or other things that I was doing. I actually moved my chair from one side of my office to the other, so I'm physically in a different spot. Uh, I also had a playlist I listened to on a pair of headphones that I only used for writing, uh, and I had this writing playlist. So very quickly, my brain could get into this flow state to jump in and out of it because of the environment around me. And so if we start to use some of this science, we can actually get more done in a shorter period of time. Hmm. That's a, that's a neat concept. So when you're thinking about those kind of breakup times, what do you do when you have a less of a, a structured, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a number of other listeners to the show are realtors. So they're always, you know, they've got to, they've got to jump on something because they're going to miss the sale. They're going to, they've got to go show a house because somebody wants to see the house. How, do, how does somebody in those kind of fast demand type roles still manage to find that balance. And- yeah. So I think when, when we look at those types of, of jobs or careers, um, of course, there's the immediate client need. Um, but is that sustainable that 24-7, you're going to be available to show houses? Is that the kind of life you want to have? So I would even just start with, is that the kind of life you want to have? Now, if you're going to show houses to the average person, they're probably going to want to do it after work. It's kind of what you've signed up for that evenings or weekends, maybe when you're showing houses. Um, but is that the long-term positioning that you want? And so imagine that you want to have different long-term positioning. Um, it may be that you want to be someone's lifelong realtor. Well, you may want to create extra content outside of just showing houses. And so imagine you help a first-time home buyer to learn about, hey, let, let's talk through what you need to do in your first year in your home. And you do a video series with local contractors and other people to think creatively so you get long-term customers, but then you're also offering long-term value. Are you going to be able to create that content that builds loyalty, builds connection over time if you're burned out? I mean, I have a friend who's a realtor and he does such a great job of going deep into relationships instead of just going wide. Uh, and so you know, he'll follow up with a text with me just to see how I'm doing uh, in, instead of just saying, are you looking to buy your house? I mean, you think about how much it takes just to acquire a new client for a house versus retaining a new, a new client over time. Uh, and so, so we see people that, you know, yes, they're showing houses, but setting some limits around that so that your brain absolutely can turn off and letting your clients know that. Uh, therapists are my main audience. So I help people to start growing and scale their counseling practices. A very similar thing in that if you have someone that contacts you and is feeling suicidal, like you can't just say no to that, but you can set up systems to say, what are the limits of when I help people, how I help them? And then if I'm not going to help them, then what do they do? And so I think that the, the emerging model is that people are going to start defining their schedule first and then saying, how does my business fit into that schedule? Right. So there may be no, no such thing as the real estate emergency, should we say? That might be. Right, right. <laughs> and I think a lot of people view all of um, what they do as being the same. 
there's going to be connections that a real estate professional makes that is going to bring in significantly more business than others. And so being able to say, what are those handful of things that when I do that, it multiplies my business versus the the fires that I'm just constantly putting out. And so even just looking at use of time and use of technology to stay connected to those potential buyers or sellers um, can help you outpace the competition in a number of different ways. Right. You mentioned about uh, different environments that you've created and playlists and, and things like that. Are there any tools or resources that you recommend? You know, that you see a lot of these productivity type tools and things like that. Is there anything that you kind of say, yeah, that that gets it? I mean, there's probably some that are terrible and as well, but yeah. is there any that are useful? So I say in general, I view my book and my model as being less prescriptive and more of a menu. Uh, I trust that people will try things and then see if it works for them. And then if not, I'm teaching them how to think and how to evaluate for themselves rather than just say, here's what you have to do. With that said, uh, some tools that I use on a regular basis, I use Trello personally for for things in my family, uh, but also for writing the book. I had a list for every single chapter. I put in the research and the stories and the main points of every chapter in there. Uh, I have a whiteboard that then I would take that off of that uh, Trello board, put it onto the whiteboard and then start writing it. Uh, I think um, Spotify has some wonderful playlists. Uh, there's one called Writing for Focus or uh, Music for Focus. Um, that that's the one that I listened to when I was writing. There's a handful of songs on there I didn't like, and I'd you know, remove them from the list for myself. Um, but I, I think that in general, uh, finding some specific things that make the environment unique for yourself. And so, for example, on those writing days, um, I had to set boundaries with my family. So I would, I have a six-year-old and 10-year-old daughters, wrote throughout the whole pandemic. So they were home. I was home. I had this book deadline. So every single morning, I would give them a hug and say, daddy's going to work. And then I would go into my home office and they knew when I was in there, it was as if I was gone at work. And then when I, at the end of the day was done, I would go and I would give them hugs and say, daddy's home from work. And so it's just a way to have some rhythms and some anchors as to what are the expectations for myself and for my family? And what are the tools that I'm going to use within that? You mentioned, uh, I think in the book, first method for getting things done faster. Can you, can you take us through that? I wanted to quickly stop the show to ask you a question. If you're running a real estate business, are you using LinkedIn? And if you are, is your profile really representing your personal brand in the best way? You can use LinkedIn in much faster and more cost-effective ways than other social media platforms to build your business. And I've put together a free 30-page guide on how real estate owners can make their profiles stand out and attract investors and partners. To get your free copy, go to reibranded.com forward slash LinkedIn. That's reibranded.com forward slash LinkedIn. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the first method um, walks through first, the, 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 the F of first is fruit. And, and so that's what's the low hanging fruit that uh, is in front of you um, that maybe is un, unseen potential. So for example, um, if you have all of these real estate buyers, um, if we think, well, what are the next things that they need? Uh, well, maybe they need a lawnmower. Maybe they need a new refrigerator. All these things that if you had a few blog posts 
um, that were affiliate links, uh, you may be able to make an extra thousand dollars a month off of the things that people are going to buy anyway, your favorite products. Um, and so that's low hanging fruit. That's people that are already customers. They're already going to go buy something. So maybe um, there's, there's some low hanging fruit there. Next, we have inflect. And the idea is that we're going to inflect um, where we're moving. And this isn't that we're lying about who we are, but to ask to act as if something is going to occur. And so, for example, to, to start moving into expertise, to start acting as if the things that you want to unfold, unfold are going to unfold with that expectation of success. Um, the third is the R is reinvest. So frequently, you know, people will just make the money and pull it out. They've given themselves a job rather than an actual business. And so the average real estate person might not have a whole bunch of executive assistants. But when you look at your actual hourly, is going through all of your own email the single best use of your time? Is managing your own social media the best use of your time? Is learning to make graphics to, to put onto social media the best use of your time? Probably not. You know, for 15 or 20 bucks an hour, you could hire someone that goes through your email and then texts you and says, Hey, these three really important emails just came through. You should re- reply to those right now while you're, you're out in the field. Um, versus, okay, I know I had 100 emails come through over the weekend. I have to go through every single one of them to find the gold in there. No, that's a terrible use of your time. So you want to reinvest. Fourth, the S is specialize. So we want to continue to specialize more and more because when you have a specialty area, people will assume that you can be a generalist. And so I often say to folks, imagine that you went to a fancy French restaurant, you know, the, the dishes start at $60 a platter and they don't even give you vegetables on the side. You got to order those a la carte. <laughs> and, and you say to them, you know what, I'm, I'm actually in the mood for a hamburger. I know it's not on the menu. Is there any way that you could make a, a hamburger from the stuff you have? If they didn't kick you out of the restaurant, it would probably be one of the most delicious hamburgers you've ever had, right? But if I go to a mom and pop restaurant and I say, hey, I know creme brulee isn't on the menu. Would you, would you make some creme brulee for me? It would most likely be terrible. So specialists can always become generalists, but generalists cannot become specialists. So we want to really start to specialize. And the last thing that we want to do is we want to make this time limited, that you know when you're sprinting and for how long. So for example, I've been writing this book. I've been focusing on, on launching the book. I know that I'm doing over 200 podcast interviews in two months, and I'm doing all this media, um, all sorts of things. But I also have in my schedule that in November, the month after the book launches, I'm taking a mega break. And so this isn't the life I'm building for myself where I'm going to be going crazy. It's that this is a particular time-limited focused area where I'm going to sprint like crazy. And so that's a, you're giving yourself a reward at the end as well. So knowing that you're going to have these intense periods, right? Well, and also knowing that if I'm going to then move into my best work, I need to follow my own advice and slow down. If I just went and sprinted, 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 and then, you know, I had a really big opportunity that came in for a Friday um, that I actually said to my assistant, you know what, um, that opportunity I like, can we just see if they're available the next week? I wrote a book about not working on Friday. I would rather not work on that Friday. Um, so even setting those boundaries for myself. Now, if the Today Show wants me to come in on a Friday, I'll have a different discussion. <laughs> but but yeah. it's like, you know, I know this is time limited also, and that I'm going to go back to at least a four-day work week, if not less. Right. And you're also talking um, about timed work sprints. Can you explain what those are for people? Because I, I really loved the concept of this. Yeah. You know, where most productivity books fail is that 
Um, they say, here's the exact way to do it. And if you don't do it, you feel like a failure. Like, oh, I guess that didn't work for me. I think batching and sprinting for a lot of people, they've tried it and they felt like, oh, that just didn't work for me. Um, but the problem is they don't actually know the kind of DNA of their brain that there's actually different sprint types. And so there's when we sprint and then there's how we sprint. So first, if we look at how we sprint, we want to look at, are you a time block sprinter? Or are you a task switch sprinter? So a time block sprinter means that you are doing a single type of activity during a particular period of time. So you might have some 20-minute sprints where they're back-to-back and you have a quick break in between, but it's the same task. So for example, I'm doing all book stuff today. So today is going to be a time block sprint all around the book. Whereas if I'm the kind of person that needs lots of variety, I may have a 20-minute sprint around working on marketing the book. I may have a 20-minute sprint on Uh, replying to high-level emails. I may then do a 20-minute sprint around marketing or something else. So there's some some variation in it. So that's the first question is, is when we do the work itself, what does that look like? The second question then is how do we, or when do we do that work? And so for that, we have an automated sprinter, and then we also have an intensive sprinter. So an automated sprinter is someone like myself that every Thursday I was working on the book. And so it's just on repeat. It's every Thursday at the same time. It could be a two-hour period. It could be a whole day period, but it's just on automation and it's automated as a sprinter. Whereas when we're looking at the intensive sprinters, um, those are people that go away for a retreat. They might go away for three or four days. They might uh, find a particular area. Uh, A friend of mine and consulting client, Dr. Jeremy Sharp, he has the Testing Psychologist podcast. He'll go rent an Airbnb. Uh, he finds vegan restaurants ahead of time that are within walking distance. That's part of his decision-making for the Airbnb. He makes sure there's an outdoor space. And he goes and he works on a variety of tasks during that. So then he's actually a task switch sprinter. So he's doing multiple tasks within the intensive model. And so when you start to figure out your sprint type, it actually unlocks in your brain uh, this way that you can be productive that doesn't necessarily match all the other productivity books that maybe you've been reading. And you mentioned earlier, and, and I think also with the timed work sprints, these 20-minute pieces, and that, that's similar to the Pomodoro technique. Is there a reason for this 20-minute thing? Is there science behind it, or is it just happened to be that that's people? No, I mean, the out? Pomodoro, uh, uh, that, that approach, uh, I mean, has been well-researched, and, and that's part of it. Uh, I don't think that we have to stick with 20 minutes. And as we look at the neuroscience, it depends. When you get into a flow state, um, time kind of disappears. And so um, it doesn't always have to be that it's only 20 minutes, but I think that's a great starting point for most people because it, it leaves you excited about the task. What we don't want to have happen is you've done it for 60 minutes and the last 10 minutes of it, you're kind of dragging along. And so 20 minutes is enough time to really dive into a task, um, to get in there and then to be cut off when you're excited about it. So then you, know, you take your quick you know, one or two minute break and then you're excited to jump back in. And so that same idea of the vigilance decrement, we want to make sure you, you leave excited. And so if you find, wow, I can't do an hour, I'm dragging at the end. Yeah, we want to cut that in half. Uh, there was a guy, uh, this guy named Michael Glavin, who uh, I host an event in the summer called Slowdown School. And at Slowdown School, people fly into northern Michigan. We pick them up in a big yellow school bus. Um, we take them hiking. We bring in massage therapists and yoga teachers. And for two days, we genuinely slow down and just hang out on the beach. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we work full tilt on their business. And so this guy, Michael, he was in a mastermind group. And every time that we were in the mastermind group, he was trying to write this book about couples therapy, and he wouldn't get it done, wouldn't get it done. 
Uh, and then finally, during the first sprint on that Wednesday, he dove full tilt in. He outlined his first nine chapters of his book with three to five points in every single chapter. It was just like the whole thing was sketched out in 20 minutes. And that's the magic of first slowing down and having that that calm downside first. And then your brain is so ready to work. It's just like, you know, like when they unleash any sort of animal that's in a, a race, it's just like off to the races. Cool. And in the book, you, you discuss three internal inclinations. Can you walk us through those? Yeah. So uh, research supports that uh, there's three internal inclinations uh, that top performers have. Uh, so the first one is curiosity. The second one is an outsider perspective. And the third one is the ability to move on it. And so curiosity, you know, from an early age, we're told curiosity killed the cat. Uh, in, early, in the early 1900s, uh, there's actually front page of the Washington Post said curiosity killed the cat. There was national news around this cat that was in a chimney. It was very slow news day, apparently, or day, series of days. Um, so the nation's watching about, is this cat going to get out of the chimney? Uh, and curiosity ended up killing that cat. So we're told if you're curious, you're going to die. But that's just not how the business world works. You know, the, the top performers are folks that uh, when they do something, even if it's a failure, they say, why did that happen? What did we learn? What did we learn about our audience through this? Um, how can we shift and adjust? The second one of having an outsider perspective, um, there's been a number of research studies showing that someone from the outside actually has more insights statistically than those on the inside. And we, we know this. I mean, anytime you've, you've started a new job and you come in, you're like, well, why do you do it that way? That's kind of weird. It seems unproductive. And oh, we've always done it that way. Well, why? And so outsiders statistically have that ability to see things differently. And then the third one, the ability to move on it. Um, there's, there's a spectrum where on one side we have accuracy and on the other side we have speed. And there's things that we want to be accurate. If I go to the hospital uh, and I'm under the knife and my doctor, she's working on me, I want her to be 100% accurate. She can take as long as she wants. Um, but for most of what we do in the business world, in the real estate world, uh, speed is more important than accuracy. We can always change it. We can always edit it. We can always shift it. Uh, and we're then getting the data instead of being paralyzed by perfection. So how can people find out more about the book, Joe? Yeah. So the book's available uh, all over the place. You can pre-order it. Uh, it goes live on October 5th is when it'll be shipped out. Uh, it's going to be an audio, digital, and traditional. Uh, you can go to your local bookstore and pre-order it. You can do it on Amazon, wherever you prefer. Uh, and then uh, over at joesanok.com, what's really great is we're bringing together experiments that people are doing to implement Thursday is the new Friday. Uh, and so it's great because people are going to be submitting, here's how we're trying it in our organization. Because unlike the industrialists, we're not saying that it's this one way or, or you're out. Instead, we see this as a conversation for our community and for our generation to genuinely shift into that four-day work week uh, within one generation to make Thursday the new Friday. Wonderful. And didn't I see in the news just recently, some companies just announced that? They've yeah, been, Kick, I, Kickstarter's I doing it in 2022. Right. Iceland just finished up a 2,500-person study and found that happiness and productivity were up working four days a week. Spain, Portugal, and New Zealand are testing it. Uh, a number of larger corporations are starting to test the four-day work week. Wonderful. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us, Joe, and, and really some great insights. And I'm sure the audience is going to want to check out that book too. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I really appreciate okay. it. Well, what did you think? Was that brandtastic? 
Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business and real estate personal brand? So what's stopping you? Get to it. And if you're wondering where your real estate personal brand currently stands and some steps to make it more brandtastic, you can download our free real estate personal brand checklist at reibranded.com forward slash checklist. That's reibranded.com forward slash checklist. Thank you for listening and have yourself a brandtastic day.